My name is Stephanie Preisner and this is basically the podcast. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is something that you guys asked for, actually. It is with David Sweeney of Sweeney Solicitors. And he's going to talk to me about the laws of living, how to buy a house, how to sell a house, how to make a will, when you should make a will, if you can change a will, and all of the things that we need to know that kind of scare me, maybe scare you, but are good to know all the same. This is a Headstuff podcast recorded at the podcast studios. When I did the podcast a few weeks ago with David Fanagan from Fanagan's Funeral Directors, I had an incredible amount of people call out to me about wills because he said in it you should make a will so with that in mind I have with me another David who is going to explain how why I kind of want to know the laws of living like what are the things I have to do in order to you know pass through this world with yeah. ease okay Stephanie thank you very much um, delighted to be here excited to be on the podcast and hopefully I can uh, give some information that your listeners might, kind, might find helpful um, so where do we start with wills so wills and probate is like a separate uh, category of law you know you can buy a house is conveyancing litigation suing people and uh, so probate is a standalone category of law so your probate is the name of probate is actually the process after someone dies, so how you extract a will and give someone's assets in the terms of the court of the will to the beneficiaries. Uh, but before that happens, you must make a will. So not everybody makes a will when they die, and if you don't make a will and you pass away, there is a process for your assets. So there's a piece of legislation that came out in the 60s, it's the Succession Act 1965, and that's... So if you have no will, there's a natural order to who will inherit what you have. And is this things like your MacBook and your car? or yeah. like Is it literally everything that you own yeah. if you... Everything you want. So we would make, historically in our office, I'm in business 10 years on my own, I have my own office in Cork and Dublin, Sweeney Solicitors, uh, and we've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wills. So we always say, if you own property or if you have young children, you should definitely make a will. And the reason I say that is just cleaner when someone passes away your assets. Obviously, uh, they go down the path of where you intended, but if you don't have a will, sometimes there's a question mark of what you want to happen in your assets, legally, who should inherit them. And then there's also tax implications, inheritance tax and all that kind of stuff that we can speak about. Um, so just say the typical person I would meet, uh, an Irish citizen who wants, say they start off buying a house. So the first time I would meet them, they would call their office, say they've met an auctioneer, they've seen a house uh, on the street in a nice residence they want to live in. And they've gone through the bidding process and they go sale agreed on their house. So I, I'm going to go a long way around yeah, here yeah, and yeah. eventually get to where we want to get to. simple. But just first-time buyers, that, like it's a hot topic at the moment. Even post-COVID, I see in the residential market, for some reason, there's a huge bubble out there just right now. Do you mean that like it's thriving? Thriving, thriving. Mortgage companies, banks are lending. I think... Is it because of like the first-time buyers scheme, like that the government are putting in things yeah. to help people buy? There is a scheme called the Help to Buy scheme to help people... Uh, Buying the first home was buying a new house and they've increased that up to €30,000 that the government will give back as a grant. But also, I th- this is my own personal opinion, that when the COVID hit in February or March, that, that timeline, the Irish economy is quite strong. A lot of people were still bidding on houses and then the building of new sites just stopped. But we didn't go through an economic crash. So the money just sat on people's accounts and it, some people kept their jobs and their deposits built up. So the minute kind of the, the building sites went back, was it late July, that kind of a time? Mm-hmm. People just went back onto the market, auctioneers. Now, everybody was afraid at, the, at that time because they didn't know what's going to happen. We thought Armageddon was going to come. We thought all conveyancing was gone. The property market was dead. We're going to hit a recession for two, two, three, four years. But it hasn't happened. Now, maybe this is down the line. But right now, if you're selling a house, it's a really good time to sell. We're at the height of prices in Dublin, Cork, any city in the country. Any auctioneer will tell you they're unbelievably busy at the moment. So go back to where I, my point you see your house you go bidding you enter in the bidding process of the auctioneer you go to what's called sale agreed so it's just say you buy your house for 400,000 euro so then the auctioneer will take uh, what's called a booking deposit so you must pay usually 10,000 euro straight to the auctioneer and then that that's fully refundable if you sign a contract but that means the auctioneer will take the property off the market and it's announced sale agreed the auctioneer then does a couple of things it, it informs the seller solicitors that the house has gone sale agreed they then draft the contract for sale with title planning billing regulations all that information supporting documents and it also tells you as the purchaser you inform the auctioneer of your solicitor and then the vendor the selling solicitor issues the contract for sale to your solicitor the purchase solicitor to review before you purchase it so there's no way like it's not really possible to buy a house without a solicitor oh no you can't do it uh, you no, you can't do it. No, it's 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 
the you can't uh, go up to someone and be like well, I'll give you 100 grand for this house well certainly you cannot do it if you're using a mortgage because a bank will want to know what what's called a certificate of title so a qualified person such as a solicitor will need to investigate the title that means the person is selling has, owns it has the right to sell it yeah. and that also impacts probate because sometimes property gets sold out of estate someone might die and leave a house to someone and the beneficiaries who are going to inherit the house may not want to live in it so they decide to sell the house liquidate it and you know the, the, okay. the sale price is then uh, distributed to the beneficiaries um, so you go sale agree the, the, do you need a solicitor yeah because the ba- especially if you're using a mortgage but also do you need an auctioneer do you need an auctioneer technically probably no but the they do have a benefit and do have a service now it is an expensive service but from a selling point of view it just takes all the uh, pressure and hassle out of showing your house, viewing your house. The bidding process itself can be quite stressful. Uh, you know yourself, if you see a lot of the auctioneers, that's a skill in itself. They can mm-hmm. put a house in the market at a certain price to know it's going to attract attention. And then hopefully you want two, three, four people bidding on that house going up in five and 10,000 yeah. euros. So f- uh, from a selling point of view, it's great. From a purchasing point of view, it's very, very stressful. But the um, when you've gone sale agreed and the your solicitor, now, before you go sale agreed or in that in the timeline you see your property and you're bidding on it and you're going through the whole process with the auctioneer um, you should shop around the solicitors because you need to get some quotes so there's a cost in hiring a solicitor to carry out the legal work there's also a certain elements to the fee note uh, you must pay stamp duty to the government so you pay 1% on the purchase price uh, to the government and it, what happens there is the solicitor who acts for you in the purchase pays that on your behalf once it closes True revenue online services, so that's you pay it to the solicitor, they hold it in their client account, and then they release it out to the revenue. Uh, once you actually officially get your keys, there's a third element. Then is the uh, fees you must pay to register yourself as the new owner. So you must pay the land registry. So what's kind of happened in Ireland? I'm going to go in now to a kind of a long-winded history of title in Ireland. So historically, there was two. There is two systems still. One is called the Register of Deeds, and this is going back to English times, the Normans, that if you bought a house, you had two documents. One was actual, the indenture, or the conveyance, the document that, that evidenced the sale or the purchase, and one was called a memorial, which was the same copy. So two documents were physically sent to Dublin Castle. One was sent to Dublin Castle, put in the register book, and then you were sent back uh, the memorial. And then when you sold that, your house on, you sent on the memorial with the indenture. Like the literal piece of paper. On, like on, a car on. log book. Correct, yeah. And then, right. Yeah, exactly like a catalog book. And then when the recession hit in the year 2009, 2010, that that type of time, there was a huge property market upsurge in property in Ireland at the time. And the land registry decided that this system is too archaic, it's too slow, there's too much work in it. And like you could get deeds, looking, especially in areas of Cork, there's deeds going back to 1719, you have to get senior council opinions to make sure it's actually correct, that they decided to bring all the title together and bring what's called a folio system. So there's a new office in Cork, the Property Registration Authority, and really what happens now is that it's a digital system and they just map your property out to the, to the, yeah. the boundary, out to the middle of the road or whatever, but it's an apartment, however it's done. And then that, that boundary, that map is given a folio number and say for Dublin, DN123456 and F for folio. So when the crash came in those seven, eight, nine, ten years where there was very little property going on, when the market started to go again, people started selling it. So there was all the historic title. There was loads and loads and loads of registry deeds. So they brought in kind of mandatory what's called a first registration. So if you're a solicitor, this is really not that important if you're buying the house because your title is going, you, all you really want to do is get the key to your house and move in and you're happy yeah. and you ever, live ever, happy ever after. But if you, um, as a solicitor, and you see the old title, which is called Registry Deeds, you now have to transfer that or transform that into the new title. So you do what's called, and the land registry encouraged this, and then you're obligated to do it now, so that every new purchase, a new house, has the folio number. So if you ever want to sell it on, all you have is like four pages. First, of its, yeah. second page names the owners, third page says their mortgage registered against it, and, and that's really it. And if, if it's in a house in a state, you might have easements for sewage pipes and all that kind of stuff but it's really clean really simple process they have now it's brilliant and it's very fast very efficient and you can check it all online um, so do you need a solicitor yes you do so should you shop around for quotes yes you should so say legal quotes for example if you were buying a house for about 400,000 euro they were probably start at 16, 1700 euro maybe up to 2,500 plus fat depending on the solicitor depending on the type of house and then like shop around like there's value out there I would be very reluctant to take on a solicitor that's doing conveyances personally for a thousand, twelve hundred euro. I, I just see the amount of work it's in it. I don't. I would be nervous for that solicitor practice because I think the only way for that business to be uh, commercially viable is for volume. And then it, what happens is they get mistakes. Skinned. Yeah. So you get yeah. your 
solicitor. Yeah. And you say, right, I'm 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 buying this house, make it all legal for me. And then you get do you just not worry about it then you just is it, when do you have to start making a will and worrying about yeah, the rest so of it? Yeah, so what you so and ninety nine percent of people at the moment buy houses with mortgages. So at the same time, you've already gone to your mortgage, you've got your loan approval, and then when you've gone to sale, agree they issue a loan offer, and the loan offer comes down. So the, the, the solicitor investigates your title, planning, building, regulations. Once he's or she is happy, then that everything's in order, you're invited into her office and you sign the contract. And at the contract signing stage, you pay 10% or the balance of 10%. So you pay 40,000. Then if you've already paid 10,000 booking deposit at that time. You, you pay, pay your solicitor. You pay your solicitor who then pays, who pays the okay. person's solicitor. So what happens is you get, I didn't bring them with me, but you actually get two contracts that are bonded by the Law Society, a contract for sale. You, you sign two copies, two blank copies, mm-hmm. and then you send the two blank copies to the other solicitor. The vendor, the seller, countersigns both copies, they keep one and they send you back one. So it's only when you receive a countersigned copy back is a legal contract in existence. And that's important because it means at that time, anyone can back out for whatever reason at no penalty. But when the contract is signed, that's it. We're all pursuing now to a closing date. So the closing date generally happens two to three weeks after the contract signing stage because that allows the purchaser, solicitor and to draw down their mortgage. How long might we have been going uh, until uh, now? From the day you kind of went sale agreed, with the auctioneer goes, look, we've agreed your bid, you pay your booking deposit, maybe six weeks, sometimes less, uh, sometimes more, depending. I would say six to eight weeks is probably reasonable. Uh, it would depend if, in a lot of cases, people are selling and buying. So you okay. get this big chain, chain of, of events and people are relying to get into a house and move on to another one and all that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, then you proceed your closing date and that's really the day you want to get your key. You've been working towards that day. So you might have to... Um, Maybe you've been saving, so you have more than the you know the uh, the ten percent deposit, and so you you're going to pay in your own funds. You will pay all those funds to the solicitor or to their client account. They draw down the mortgage on your behalf. They co- that comes into the solicitor's client account. And if uh, in the case of say they help the buy scheme, what happens there is you pay less uh, to the vendor solicitors, and the government pay them direct. So you just pay less to balance. That might be the, it's a, you're right, you get registered, you get a pin number, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a system for that. Uh, so when you get your keys, your house, you move in, hopefully live happily ever after, you sign the transfer deed and then the solicitor takes that, applies to the land registry, registers you as a new owner. If you have a bank or using a mortgage, that gets registered as a charge on the property for length term, 25, 30 years. And when the process is finished with the land registry, they send the original documents back to the solicitor and then the solicitor sends them back to the bank and they keep the documents for the duration. Okay, so if you... Is it at that point you're like, okay, now I own yeah. the house, now I need to make a will? Yeah, that's that's really, you should do it that day or, or make the appointment that day because... And, and does your first will, can it just be like, everything I own goes to yeah. X or <clears throat> how specific do people get? And it, it's what, what I think the job is of this lister is to make a really clean, simple will and that your views and whatever you, you have peace of mind that anything, everything you want that is in it. But it's okay. Like the nice, clean, simple. Imagine I come into you. Yeah. What? And I'm like, okay, I need to make a will. Yeah. Go. So I would think the first thing is make a list of your assets. So if you own a house, say house, car, yeah, laptop, yeah, yeah, ring. So the the other question, and you'd probably ask the your personal circumstances. So whether you're married or you have a partner, and in most cases, uh, if you're married uh, or a long term partner, you would have a will each, and the will would just mirror each other. It's called a mutual will. So the will would say, in the case of a married person, uh, if my spouse predeceased, if I sorry, if I predeceased my spouse. My surviving spouse will inherit everything. And you don't really mention the individual stuff there. And a lot of people might have sentimental gifts, say like a family heirloom, a, a ring the grandmother yeah. might have given them or an aunt or something, and they would want their daughter to have that or whatever. And then that that type of will would have two parts. One is if the spouse, uh, predeceased another spouse, fighting spouse, uh, surviving spouse inherits everything. But in the case of, say, a simultaneous death, or maybe you did you, that kind of thing, you would say then all my estate will go to my children and even shares. So okay. you're kind of covering two bases there. So if it's a simultaneous debt or if you're predeceased, you're inheriting the surviving spouse. And how frequently should people be updating their wills or like yeah. so you can re-looking ma- at them? Yeah, you can make as many wills as you want in your lifetime. And it's the will you make just before your death that applies. So just just saying that circumstance, maybe um, that person was married and this, uh, one of the spouses passed away and the surviving spouse inherited that estate, that, that spouse could remarry. Uh, and then what happens there is, is a piece of legislation in Ireland called the Succession Act uh, 1965, which dictates how property and gifts are distributed under Irish law. Uh, so just say you, I often ha- I remember one uh, probate lecture I had previously and she used to always say, you know, 
uh, people who say like if I die you know it's when like we're all going yeah. to die <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's just the fact of it and so when someone passes away and you don't have a will uh, the Irish law kind of the government dictates or the legislation dictates of how your estate is going to be distributed so um, say I die Touchwood yeah when I so say I die tomorrow who does the succession act say should get my yeah so if you're married I don't have a child I'm not married yeah so uh, your immediate family my mother yeah your immediate family. Okay. Yeah. Say my mother was dead. Touchwood. Yeah. Do you have brothers and sisters? No. Uh, it would go to then the, the next of kin of that out to your cousins. And oh it would my actually God, gas. Go out like that. Just um, like all of my... So I have eight first cousins. They yeah. would individually get yeah. my estate. Yeah. Um, now, the... Now, there is also a, a circumstances where people make wills and they decide to leave out some of their family members for whatever reason. Like I have done a will for a gentleman... He was in the 70s and he wanted to leave out his wife. Uh, and they were still married, still oh, wow. technically happily married. Did he have a will before that that no. had her in it? Okay. Uh, no, his first time making a will. Uh, and he just wanted to leave her out. And like there is protection for spouses. You can actually take an application to court if you have been left out of a will by your spouse who predeceases you to take an action up to a third of the estate. Uh, so it's a legal right share. You're How frequently do judges look favourably on that? Uh, oh, yeah. You would be You'd have a good quite chance. strong. Oh, yeah, you would. Yeah, But you have to proactively take the action to court. Like, it's big deal to go to the high court to take that well I suppose it depends on the size of the estate and it depends on whether the title of the house could have been in your husband's or whatever you know there's all these little intricacies that you have to look at and the very same with children like some children some um, uh, testator someone who makes a will has actually come in to say look I don't want that child to have anything in the will maybe they just left home at whatever age and they had no relationship with them and that child then has a right under section 101 uh, legal right share it's a children's uh, right to inherit under an estate but it's a little bit different in that there's a third of an estate available for children but if you have say three children you're entitled to a third of a third that makes okay. sense but you once again have to be proactive and go to court to take the application I want to talk to you about ketchup for a second yeah like actual tomato sauce so you might remember that the old ketchup bottles were glass bottles right and then you couldn't like stick a spoon in you couldn't stick a fork in so you'd end up having to shake it out hit the side of it and then the tomato went everywhere and it looked like blood and then all of a sudden the plastic bottles came along well the plastic bottles didn't just come along out of nowhere they came along because of UX design now it wasn't called UX research back then but in the 80s researchers went and they watched families using ketchup and they noticed that it was mainly the kids who wanted to eat the ketchup but because the bottles were so difficult to use the parents had to put it on their plate for them so they came up with the plastic bottle idea so that kids could squeeze their own ketchup without it going all over their plates Today UX designers and research carry out that kind of research every day when building apps and websites and software. They identify and fix problems that make the experience of using the app or the website or the software just simpler, like swapping an awkward glass ketchup bottle for an easy-to-use squeezy one. If you found that interesting, you might want to look into the UX Design Institute, today's sponsor on this podcast. The UX Design Institute deliver university credit-rated online courses in UX design, so if you're considering a career change or you want to find out more about UX design, visit uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash basically. Is there a different amount you are allowed to inherit from different types of people before you have to pay yeah. tax? Yeah, and that's that's like a big thing for... Um no, no one wants to pay tax, really, do they? I know, especially in inheritance, because they think that, you know, the they person... They have a right to it. Yes, but also, you know, the person who uh, built up that estate in their lifetime worked hard for it, and they also generated uh, paid taxes on the income they earned to buy that estate or buy the property that that, yeah. that, that is their estate that they want to uh, uh, give in their inheritance. So there is thresholds. Um, so each so there's no it's called capital acquisitions tax gift tax so there's no mm-hmm. gift tax between a husband and wife so if the husband passes away and leaves the estate to the wife that whole estate passes without without any tax uh, attached to it whatsoever when the the um, taxes apply there's there are exemptions so there's three three exempt three categories of exemptions called thresholds so threshold A um, dictates a gift from a parent to a child these thresholds tr- change nearly every budget so they yeah. usually swing between 250 in a good year 300 in like a kind of a austere yeah, uh, yeah. so three, that, that would mean that you could inherit 300,000 uh, well that'd be a good year oh, that'd be a good year. Year, and then anything after that you pay 30% and that's per child okay. so if you have a state worth a million euro and there's one child who inherits it the child will 
tax free up to 300,000 and they'll pay 30,000 on, 30% on the balance sorry wow. and then the next category down is like say in your example might be cousins uh, and that's quite pretty low category I think it's about 28,000 28,000 uh, yeah, yeah it's quite small and then the category C is about 15,000 who's that for? Uh, say friends uh, one stage out from cousins so like second me. cousins or anyone yeah, else yeah still a family relative and then but there is another uh, isolated uh, threshold of like 3,000 euro per gift tax you're allowed to receive as well per person so but um, yeah, and is tr- that over your lifetime so like say if your mother and father give you 50,000 euro uh, yeah when you're forty, yeah. to buy a house, yeah. does that come off? Yeah, that that's like that's a gift in a lifetime is considered the same as gift in inheritance. So that would still be so. so if say, that comes off, then you're three hundred thousand. Exactly. Say example, you got that gift in life fifty thousand, and they pass away in a number of years later, and then you you are entitled to whatever the threshold is at that time. But it's made up. Re- re- but how do they know that you got that? Who is it? Revenue. Yeah, well, you have to declare it. Uh, revenue, yeah. It's a great website, revenue.ie. It's really, really informative. They've actually really upgraded in the last five or six years. But so if 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 you get that, you have to declare it when? When you get it or when or when they die? Um, When they die. You have to say, yeah. I also got 50 grand yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, well, you have to make your own assessment, yeah. Right. What if you didn't say yeah. anything? Um, what if you did Well... Is it tax avoidance, potentially? Oh, right, it's an actual crime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, okay. So, moving on. So, you make your will. So, yeah, you make your will. And, like, wh- what would I say? If you own property, yeah. long-winded way of saying how you should, this is how you buy a house and that you should make a will. So, that just says that when you die, that house that you've bought, you're very clear on where you want it to go, who you want to receive it. And, like, you asked me there earlier, how many wills can you make in your lifetime? You can make as many. What I find with people is that when they come in to make a will, they can have a what if scenario. So yeah. what if and what if? So my view is that you should have the mentality that if you went outside and got knocked down my bus, what do you want to happen? And that's exactly right. it. Nice, clean, and simple. Peace of mind. If something happened to me today, this is exactly how I want my estate to uh, be passed and on. And is it just your estate, or do you also put in your will like, and I want to be cremated? Do that. And yeah. I want. Yeah. Yeah, certainly you can like you can also then if you want put what's called a letter of wishes. So say you just want to write it yourself, and you can have it in the envelope with the will. And you, maybe someone wants to be cremated. Maybe somebody doesn't want the Catholic service. Um, maybe they want to be buried in a certain graveyard. Uh, yeah, it's really what you want. Anything you want can, can go into it. Um, the like you hear these other things then, like what's called a codicil. So say someone has made a will and they changed their mind and they tried to. It's an additional piece to the will. Codicils are contested quite a lot because there is something. Why would they not just make a new will instead of changing? That's what you should do. Right, okay. And and maybe because, uh, like, one of the reasons or one of the factors of how you make a will is that you must, your will must be in writing, it must be evidence, and your signature must be witnessed by two people who are not beneficiaries. Uh, And then you must nominate certain people in a will. So those people would be an executor. So that's someone you trust that would just look after your will through what's called the probate process after you die. Does the executor benefit? Uh, Not really. The solicitor, you'd have a solicitor as well to do day-to-day work. You can pay an executor a fee if if they happen to be the solicitor or if they have to carry out a professional function. But generally it's someone you trust. But if, like sometimes you hear of you know, a, 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 um, an old woman dies and she leaves everything to her five kids and one of those kids is the executor. Yeah, but that's usually the eldest ch- child ju- just to oversee the process. Right. Uh, it can, like the probate office is swamped at the moment with applications. Um, it, it can take anywhere from three months to 12 months and possibly more for a probate for the actual estate to be completed. What would make something take longer? Uh, the size of the estate. So sometimes you have to write to pension companies, life assurance, they might have shares, they might have a uh, number of properties, there might be issues with the title of some of the properties, um, bank accounts. And can nothing happen, like no one gets any money and no properties are sold uh, until that's it, done? There's certain circumstances. So just say you're a husband and wife in your bank account and you have a joint bank account. The banking rules say that if, if you and me have a bank account and my name and your name are on it and I pass away, the bank will release the funds to you straight away. Okay. That technically may not be in accordance with the Succession Act because it happens sometimes with, um, say, elderly parents, say one parent and one of the children is named on the bank account. Uh, the, the, the technical name for that is it's what's called a presumed resulting trust so what they're saying is that yes you're on the name of the bank account with your parent but you were just doing that to help them out the, the, that asset so that 50,000 euro in that bank account 
was actually to be shared between all four or five years right, sisters. Okay. Just because your name was on in the lifetime doesn't the banking rules will say they'll just release it out mm-hmm. to you. Um, like c- certain other elements, say like the funeral bill, all that kind of stuff. So the executor can decide in the process that look, there's sometimes uh, people have insurance policies with credit unions and debt policies that the, the funeral director is paid uh, straight away. Um, generally though when, when someone dies and you have a will you make an application it's, it used to be CA24 form it's now changed the probate system is going through a bit of a review at the moment so there's a new system uh, just been put in place in the last couple of months and inherently what you're saying is that you're making an application to the Irish government to say look this person has passed away The at the time of their death they had these assets there is a will to support it I want the Irish government and the, the legal system the high court just to rubber stamp it and confirm that we, um, we may now legally distribute the assets in accordance with the terms of the person's will so when the grant which is called the grant of probate once that comes back from the probate office then we can uh, distribute the estate to all five kids in whatever shape manner or form it was to be done and I have kind of a side question which is unrelated but I'll well, I can come back to where we are if you inherit a house from your mother or whatever do and then the house is in your name are you then eligible for first time buyers uh, no, that's it. You, you own, once you own a property, you, 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 you can't then buy another house. If you, you, you technically own it, just if you wanted to. So there used to be a thing called the first time buyer's grant. That's gone. And that used to be that the stamp duty used to be written off. So you didn't pay any stamp duty if you were a first time buyer. Then they brought in this, there used to be an up and down system. And then they just brought in a category 1% and it's 2% over a million for residential. So majority of properties, how we deal with around 1%. Um, but once you, and this happens a lot with, say, Say somebody has owned a share in a property uh, that they've inherited in and then they, with the brothers and sisters, or maybe they've inherited through their parents and there might be a huge value in the property and then they meet their own partner and then they go to uh, purchase a house and in this case they want to avail of the help to buy scheme. They can't do it because they, one of the you've already owned the house and because one has owned it, it's even considered if you've two. Just, even if you've just inherited it? Mm. Well, you, you see you own an asset that has value. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can see the logic behind it because otherwise you're technically will have two houses and you're available of a, a grant and someone else might be entitled to or should, should avail of. So all those examples you're talking about are if people die with money and wills. What if someone yeah. dies in debt? Can you inherit debt? Uh, can you inherit debt? Generally, no. Uh, the debt would die with the person unless there's a personal guarantee on the debt of the, of the person who died. Um, the... Like if you die and your house is in negative equity, so, if you inherit uh, a house, that's, that, in. that's no, no. But like negative equity is kind of so. If someone has a mortgage on a property, um, they must have life insurance. You cannot have a mortgage and not have life insurance. Okay. The bank insists on that. So if somebody passes away with a mortgage, and even say the mortgage, uh, if they bought at the height of the boom in Ireland in two thousand and five, that been right, mm-hmm. four or five, and say they bought for 350 euro and then the house went, has gone down, it's now 280 and they still have a mortgage of 300. If that person passes away, the insurance policy clears off whatever the mortgage is. So if that mortgage okay, is 300, so you're always 000, inheriting houses that have no mortgage. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, so it's either it has a mortgage and the mortgage has an insurance policy on it that, it's, that the mortgage policy holder passes away, the, the mortgage gets paid off and also, or else you're inheriting a house that has no mortgage. So it's just an asset without any restriction. Right, okay. And so... There's one or little thing we should be aware of if you're making a will, and that's especially if you have young children. Uh, so young children in the Irish law is a minor, someone under 18. So you should, God forbid, something... And I'll, maybe we'll speak at the moment from, say, a married couple that has children, so yep. a husband and wife or... Uh, uh, we'll give that example uh, husband and wife and they have two children say four and six years of age uh, they, so say they've bought their house and they're making their will of their house and they say if one spouse predeceased the other the surviving spouse inherits the house and in the case of a simultaneous debt um, you can't own assets or property in Ireland if you're under 18 so you then must put in a structure in your will known as a trust so to do that you must uh, have a trustee uh, so the trustee in this case it's usually brother-in-law sister-in-law you should I, I well sorry in any for any parent who's making a will for their children under the age of 18 there's two specific role sorry there's three one is the executor and that just deals with the will and the probate and that expires six months 12 months after someone passed away not an extreme role it's just a loyalty or trust uh, person that would just oversee the solicitor sign off the checks at the end and just agree with the solicitor how do you state sorry agree with the terms of the will how do you state will be distributed to each beneficiary at the end does the executor need to know about the will beforehand or is it should, just yeah 
that's always a strange one. So what we would say uh, is tell the executor, A, you've appointed an executor and also where the will is. So it's in Sweeney's solicitor's office or it's in such and such an office. So God forbid something happens and you, that person knows where, where the will is. But um, otherwise, could they just get a phone call? Be like, you are the executor. Of a will, yeah, they can, they can do that, but it's generally someone they trust and they've said it to them. You know, it's they don't yeah. people don't usually randomly put it. And now, in, in the case of a husband and wife, you, it's just automatic the husband or the wife who's surviving is the executor as well. Right, okay. So, in, in this circumstance, you're dealing with someone that the husband or the wife is mm-hmm. predeceased. That's so the next level down. Uh, so, if you have a children who are under age of eighteen, you, you, it's two roles. One is the guardian. So, the guardian is the person. That this person, this these two roles can be the same person. And okay or the same two people usually. So the guardian is someone who kind of uh, takes care of the child's welfare the day-to-day, where's the child going to stay that night, mm-hmm. food and clothes, all, all the, the I suppose, the familial type care that a child should get. And then the second uh, role is called the trustee. So the trustee is someone that oversees the financial aspect of the estate. So just say... Do they have to be two different people? Um, they don't have to be two different people, but I would say you should have two different, two people in each role. But it'd okay. be the same. So you could have two guardians and they're also two trustees. And okay. especially if it's a large value estate, you should definitely have two trustees because yes, the trustees will make decisions for the welfare of the child. Uh, but just say, for example, uh, the decision is made that the family home they're originally living in doesn't suit anymore. So that should be sold. So that's going to be sold for 500,000 euro, 450,000. The funds for that from that sale will put into a fund known as a trust fund. And then the trustees will access that fund f- for the benefit of the children, welfare, school, education, accommodation, what. They make those decisions. And then when you're making the will for your children, you decide what age you, you want your children to take control of the estate. So it's any age over tw- over 18. It's usually 21, 23. It's when third level education has ended. I actually had a gentleman ask me one time, he wanted 35, was when he wanted his children to inherit his estate. Oh, wow. <laughs> his trust issues. I think he actually inherited a lot of money himself when he was young and he, he just didn't want but to do that. But in that case, are the people, the guardians who take in the children yeah. spending that 450,000 euro, hopefully on yeah. in the in the interest of the children, yeah, well, until they're 35? Yes, yeah, so, oh, but generally it's till 21. So then if you have three children and, and say the, the estate is there, it's just say those funds at 400,000 is in the trust fund, maybe they've uh, used a certain amount of it through the, for the children's welfare. And then as each child hits, say, 21, they inherit their what portion of third and then the next child hits 21 and the next child right. to the estate is that all children are above the age that you decide you want them. And, it's any age and is it a third of what's remaining at that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you have to, the trustee has power to do that and if you look at a will uh, which if you make a will for children under 18 the will becomes three pages like most wills about a page maybe a page and a half a will for a, a person under 18 is three pages long because you're basically putting the trustee in your shoes to make all decisions they can actually borrow money on the back of the estate but the, the, the core of it is for the welfare of the child so it's all done for the benefit of the child or children but so, can that be enforced like uh, so you say mean? you're like you you inherit so you're a trustee and you inherit two children and an estate of four hundred grand. Well, you you you. I know you don't inherit the children, yeah, but like you, you're the guardian of the yeah, children. Yeah. You take them in. Yeah. You also get four hundred grand. Yeah. The children are sad. Their parents yeah. are dead. Yeah. You decide they need a holiday. Yeah. In Spain, you yeah. take them on holidays, but you also pay for yourself and your own kids to go on holidays. <laughs> And then like you're spending, like yeah. then you take the kids to get their school uniform, but you also yeah. pay on the same card with for your kids and their uniforms. Yeah, that can be contested, yeah. That you can go to court and contest. Who cons- so, who's going someone to contest else, it? Well, someone of, someone of authority with the children can go to court and contest the trustees and have a trustee removed. It's a pretty, pretty, there is a process of it available to it. So that's why when you actually appoint the guardians and trustees, it's someone you really trust because obviously those, they are concerns, they're real issues. Um, it's generally brother and sister-in-law, kind yeah. of two families, that, that type of thing. And that's why I'm saying that you have two people, not a husband and wife or not somebody, a, par- a boyfriend, girlfriend type thing, or actually, even though you might be very close to them in, in your lifetime, you should have one guardian of one family and then one from the other side and the same with the trustee. You can have, okay. four, you can have four people in those roles, but generally, I would suggest two people. From each side. But this, this, they're, they're guardians and trustees. Okay. Now that becomes tricky because when you're a guardian, the children can only live one With place. One family, so yeah. you know, if there's issues, there is mechanisms to go to court for mediation and all that kind of. But do so. you say in the thing like we want, you know? brother-in-law and sister-in-law yeah. to be the guardians but yeah. we want them to live with brother-in-law yeah. and his wife now you can or say that but that that gets into a what if because maybe it's just not viable at the time for that person to have the children you can't really follow it out so you, you kind of have to just pass over the decision making process to those people and trust they will make the right decision at the time knowing that's 
for the benefit of the welfare of the children and also knowing that the tenet and the belief or the the honest uh, good faith views that you would have had and how you would have raised your children they would follow through on that does it change the tone of a will when someone has a terminal di- when like someone knows I am actually going to die in um, I, I was at a lady's bedside last week uh, with terminal cancer made her will um, and it's 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 very very strange process yeah so like you, if you talk about the first uh, instance we had there where you have someone who's full of life bought a house first time buyers starting off a family making a will you know full of the joys of life and then in the in this year especially you've been to nursing homes and been to um uh, hospices where you know people are dying and they want to make a will and sometimes they don't have a lot of assets you know this typical this last will I did last week and it's a very uh, somber occasion uh, it's a bit it's very nice you know the, the, the person has kind of uh, decided what they want to do with their assets whether they have a large estate or a small estate uh, it's very humbling to be involved in it uh, it's certainly um, I think somber would be the word uh, the person's mindset they've really taught out what they want and like you asked earlier you know in your case you said about your MacBook where it might be but they have taught out you know I want the ring I got you know with the whatever it might be the silver chain on it to go to my niece or specifically nice sentimental gifts and then is it your job so say she says I want the ring or I want the, the gold chain necklace mm. to go to my niece yeah how do you make sure that that happens? Or how does the executor, like, yeah. what if they can't find the gold chain? Yeah, well, that's it. In this case, we ask that a list be made of all the items and then beside the list... Where they are. Yes, but also the person they wanted to inherit it and then we drafted the will based on that information. Um, and then do you call up, like, so say yeah. I want Sylvia to get the chain. Do you ring Sylvia and say, yeah, you've just th- inherited a... Yeah, but this, this would be obviously after the person has passed away mm-hmm. and then we have the will and then we're going through the probate process um, and then in that process that person would be contacted. It's usually through the executor because the executor is a family member and the executor knows that, oh, look, that niece is inheriting that chain and they've already told her and then they've said that, look, all the, I, the executor has the jewellery physically and it's all there, it's all gone and whatever. But we would contact that person directly and obviously ensure they get it and they would receive it just to make sure the wishes have been carried out. But there's also one of the... Um, uh, not concerned, but one of the issues with with those type of wills is uh, the mental health of the person who's actually making the will and whether yeah. they're actually compus mentis. And like, it's a very unusual si- situation where uh, the solicitor can make a decision on the day whether the person was mentally sound to make the will, and it doesn't have to be a medical. Uh, We'll say a doctor or a medical standard of what is compus mentis. What are the factors you sort of value <laughs> you, to like that well, you evaluate to you say? You make it's a bit of a common sense judgment. Uh, if you're unsure, you can ask certain questions: Who's the president? What day it is? What's your date of birth? But surely, if you're asking those questions, there's a huge question mark about is this person, or do you ask them as a policy? Uh, you would ask them if you have concerns. Right. And if those those type of questions then weren't answered uh, in a way you're satisfied with. I don't think you could uh, draft that will. Right, okay. And if someone is, say someone is compus mentis, but isn't kind See, of, con- like, isn't mm. able to talk to you or is... Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting point because, or it gets into an interesting category, if you want to call it, of the, the probate or making a will where you have what's called attorneys, a power of attorney. So a power of attorney is somebody that you appoint to make decisions and write papers on your behalf. Uh, there's kind of, Two parts of power. One is called a power of attorney. One is an enduring power of attorney. So a power of attorney is uh, just say you're selling your house. It's gone to the market uh, and you're selling it, but you're going on, you know, post COVID, we're all traveling. Yeah. You're, le- you're leaving the country. You're going to be out for two months, and while you're leaving the country, you, the house sale is going to close. But you're not going to be in the country to give a wedding signature on the paperwork. So you can give a power of attorney for that specific transaction just to sell that house and it might expire at a certain timeline to your solicitor or a friend or some your partner that's going to sign off the house and that's all nice and tidy and you get the proper paperwork to support it so that's power of attorney and enduring power of attorney and this is something is if there's a fear of dementia or mental health or something like that so an enduring power of attorney means that if uh, comes into play on a certain act 
And that act would have to be a medically disc- uh, standard and a doctor would have to come in and give an opinion that this person now has dementia or their mental health is deteriorated in such extent that they can't make decisions for their own benefit. And what happens then is upon that decision then, uh, the attorney comes into, comes into play. Uh, but that's all done with the court. You, you make an application to court to make the, the, the enduring power of attorney to make sure it's correct. And then any decisions, um, so say for example, someone had... Uh, was in a nursing home and say that the nursing home they needed to change nursing home but they had financial assets and the, the enduring power of attorney someone had to make a decision to pay the nursing home or transfer the nursing home you would go to court bring the information to the judge and the judge would oversee it and, and then uh, either endorse it or decline it What if someone had like a stroke like immediate, so they all of a sudden become yeah. incapable of making their own decisions yeah, it's uh, and it happens more often than you think. So obviously, if if they're married, or spouse will hopefully take over all that, and the the, the succession act, succession act again, sixty five gives them rights. It happens a lot where there is no enduring power of attorney, and there's people are kind of frustrated. Or there's this period. Can you of time. make enduring power of attorney when you make a will, being like, and by yeah, the way, you you could, you should. We don't. It's not done very often. It should be done. Well, you yeah. just say, and by yeah. the way. By the way, if if I compliment it, whenever I use my faculties, I want this person to take over my uh, Power uh, my welfare or whatever, yeah. That'd be a good thing to kind of wrap in yeah. with the will, wouldn't it? Would. How much does it cost would. to make a will? Uh, the cost to make a will, generally around €100. Euro, so How not. much does it cost to change a will then? Uh, usually, if you went back to a solicitor, they'd probably change it for free, depending on if you're completely starting from zero again. Uh, a lot of people would do wills good faith you know keep up a relationship with a client um, if you want to take a harsh commercial view on it when that person passes away you're probably going to get the estate and the league work out of that as well but uh, the it, it depends like, a, lot of, a lot of wills are quite complicated if states are large estates so they, they might go up a couple of hundred euro I knew a woman well like my friend's grandmother once she was a particular type of woman and she <laughs> <laughs> she used to be in and out the solicitor like every week yeah. changing her will like if she had a fight with the husband or the I husband know. was annoying her she'd take I him know. out of the will and then, and then you get people who uh, want to leave it to the cat's home or charities and like that's all valid as well as long as it's done right you can leave it now in Ireland there is a, ch- a, a, a it has to be drafted correctly. You can't just say the dog's home. You have to have to get the CRO, the actual registered office name, and it's kind of go- gone through. Um, not similar to a trust for a child, but there's a certain mechanism you have to have in the will to ensure that the charity gets it. Right, and is there, like, does the charity, do people have to be aware, no, they don't, people don't have to be aware that they're going to inherit something? Uh, no, they generally don't, no. They generally don't, unless, like, unless you're, ex- there's an expectation if your spouse family, or yeah. if you're a child and the other spouse is predeceased or something like that. But a lot of the time, especially the sentimental gifts, you know, the um, like the ring or the, bro- the brooch or whatever, you know, it's nice to pass on a family heirloom. Uh, and cash gifts, people often don't know what they're getting and uh, a kind gift from the person who has passed away. And does it have to be legal? Like if you are the type of person who, uh, you know, doesn't like no, not that they live off the grid but you know some people do, are kind of anti-establishment and they yeah. write their will yeah. on the back of a Phoenix yeah. magazine and yeah. sell it tape to the inside of their wardrobe is that uh, technically if it has if it's in writing uh, if it has you there's, you revoke all former win, wills so like I have a will here so uh, I st- just for example I Stephanie Prizer not to be morbid yeah come on let's do it <laughs> I just for GDPR I won't name the persons here so I Stephanie Prizer of uh where are we Pierce Dublin and city don't make this as in for my last will and testament hereby revoking all former wills and testament to be dispositions at any time heretofore made by me so that's a standard opening paragraph you have in every will this basically saying you can make as many wills as you want in your lifetime but all uh, the last ones are now defunct exactly yeah and that, and that happens you don't even have to destroy those wills just the very fact you made a new will and it's the will that's last in date Mm-hmm. from when you die it is the will that's valid uh, so then you say like in, if you have a partner event your partner uh, survives you by a period of 30 days the following provision shall apply point your partner uh, sorry if your partner survives you by 30 days yeah so this is a thing uh, <laughs> what if people die within 30 days so then the, the, the explanation for that is just say someone's on a life support machine yeah and just say you uh, say you're not married and it's not covered by a succession act but you have a partner and you Say you have a will and leaves your estate to your partner, and but say your partner's will is a different uh, intention in it. Say his will, in this case, uh, wants to leave his will to uh, a child you never knew about, say living in America. Mm-hmm. So if that person dies within the 30 days, uh, it's considered 
uh, simultaneous debt. So both wills would just be divided up uh, 50-50 as they are, yeah. But if, say, the gentleman dies outside the 30 days... All of my assets go to the child that I never knew no, about in America. Well, they w- we go to him first. Because okay. he, he's outlived the 30 days. So that technically, he's now inherited that full estate and then he dies in day 35 and then that day, that uh, that estate then, plus whatever he had, then goes to that child. Wow, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that'd be very complicated. Yeah, I often tr- get tongue-tied trying to explain that but that's generally what it is but uh, it doesn't really I suppose in the case of a spouse the succession act applies again and and if you have a will with your spouse it's a mutual will so it mirrors itself so in the case of uh, um, a spouse you want to continue down how the format of it's done you would point to your partner's executor and then you, you directed all those uh, funeral expenses legal expenses are paid and then you give everything it's called the residue you, like if you don't want to name specific items you just say look everything I have at the time of my death I want my, my partner or my spouse to inherit it all if say you don't have a spouse you can just say look I want all my brothers and sisters I want my cousins I want Mary to get the house Johnny to get the car uh, Chris to get the laptop and then everything after every, every will should have a residue at the end it's just a catch all just and in case anything hasn't forgotten. else anything else I have at the time of my death will pass and even shares uh, to whoever you decide to make, leave it and uh, this is a very strange question but what about the actual stuff that's on you when you die yeah <laughs> like your watch and your ring and your cash and your yeah. wallet yeah like that's their assets they're part of your estate. Um, so, it, like, again, if, if it's something of real value and specifically want someone to have it, if not, that watch or that ring just bec- becomes part of the residue and then a value is put on that and someone who... Usually someone might say, look, I want... You know, uh, you know, there's a saying where there's a will where there's a relative, you know, yeah. where, where that, that, that can lead to a lot of discourse and a lot, a lot of uh, animosity in families of who gets what if it's not specific. So sometimes if your will is quite general that it can lead to someone saying, look, I wanted, that I thought I was getting that. Watch or whatever. House or whatever. You, yeah. you know, the, the value of the estate or the value depending on that. And, uh, and that can lead to kind of an animosity and family breakdown. If, say someone is a bachelor or spinster I hate that word but bachelorette you know someone who never got married doesn't have any brothers or sisters they can't find like would a solicitor if someone dies in test state yeah. and has no yeah. you know upfront next of kin yeah. those really sad stories yeah. you hear of people who have known at the funeral yeah. how far down well, the list you go yeah. looking well you, technically the, 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 the last inheritor is the, is the state the Irish government Okay. So if there is, and it does happen, but not very often, but it does happen that. Um, so what would happen in that case? First of all, uh, if just say someone died and they think they, ha- the, someone thinks they have that person had a will, but they're not sure. So there is, that goes through the law society of Ireland. So you'll see, you get, you regularly get emails from the law society say, look, did anybody ever do a will for such and such a person? This address has just passed away. Will you check your will safe if you have it? Uh, and maybe there is no will. Uh, and if there is no uh, beneficiaries. They trace as much as they can, but the Irish government is the is the end uh, beneficiary of any unclaimed estate. And then I'm always fascinated by the bit in the papers where it says like John Brennan of Pierce Street, Dublin, died and left an estate of yeah. Like how do does everyone's will become public information yeah, in like the paper? That, that grant, yeah, it is, yeah. Potentially the that and that's how it like basically Is the, it only the, that some solicitors put them in the paper or does everyone's go in the paper? Um, how does that happen? Does everyone go in the paper? Like, do you write to the paper when someone dies? No, no, you wouldn't. No, no. I th- so I how think, do they find out? I think they just look for big estates and they publish them just for public interest. Oh, right. Okay. That's oh, wow. Like that famous person. So whoever might pass, if you, an example of a famous person, they left. But even when they're not famous people, it's just usually yeah. a small little paragraph of yeah. like ten names. Yeah. yeah, they are generally like over a million. Yeah, I think it's public interest. Uh, it is a public document. Uh, the grant. Um, so not, not every estate is public is published. Not everyone is published. I don't. I don't really know. Is there a way of making your estate private? That, uh, that doesn't happen. No, because like it's a government document. The grant once this grant is issued, it's public. The will is public then as well. Um, the and how the old systems of CA twenty four were basically you wrote down all your assets. So say you're the value of your house, you'd actually have to get an auction out the value at the time of death. Pensions, say say that all adds up to like eight hundred thousand euro, and you take off the. Um, uh, the cost of the funeral four or five thousand euro the um, yeah sorry we did that podcast earlier <laughs> yeah funerals are dear oh yeah yeah depending on what you want in your you know the coffin the casket all that kind of stuff is it possible to for is it po- is it possible for an inheritance to end up costing you money um no because the gift just fails 
So if if the gift is not there, if the if the asset is not there to match the gift, the gift fails. What does that mean? So re, what that means is that so. In, in practical terms, if you're drafting a will and it's, you know, as I started off to say, this is my will, last will and testament. Yeah. And then say just before the residue, so the end clause. So say you want to give the brooch or the gold chain, they're physical items, they're probably there. But just say you wanted to give a uh, gift of 5,000 euro to my niece Stephanie, you want to give 5,000 euro to my niece David uh, and all the way down. And then given six or seven gifts of ca- of liquidated sums, cash amounts, and then you get to the residue and then all the rest of the residue my estate I give to whatever. But just say the gifts run out at gift number one. If there's nothing there to give the last person, it's just not there. And if there's no residue, there's nothing to give. But is it possible like to inherit a house that's going to end up costing you money by uh, inheriting it? Not by way of having a debt on it, but maybe if you want to live it and do it up. People might just... you Generally, people would sell them off. Right. Now, the, the only problem with that is that say at the time someone dies, the house is worth 200,000 euro. Yeah. Uh, and then say that the family are unsure what they're going to do with it uh, and it's gone in on the grant of probate that the estate is worth 200,000 and it's still held on and then they decide and sometimes it's 18 months or two years it's a family home it's quite sentimental people don't want to make that they don't want to make that decision so say like just six or seven we call it the old stu- old style family uh, set up where there's eight children and they're all now in their 50s mm-hmm. uh, and they're like nobody wants to take control and sell the property and say two years go down the line then they go okay right we've all now Come to terms it, yeah. with it and we're all going to sell the property. And now the property is worth 300000 There's capital gains now worth uh, to be paid on that difference of tr- between the three and the two from the date of the uh, probate application. Because the asset has risen. Because the asset was once two, even though nobody inherited, nobody how benefited. how much is capital gains tax? The, it's the same as the gift tax, it's 30%. Right. Okay. So if you if that house just sat in the estate and no one decided what to do with anything with it. And it was too but I think they're still getting more, aren't they? Like oh yeah, like oh yeah, but like but you're still getting more than you were, but yeah, you do have to pay the thirty percent. Yeah, but you're still gonna have to pay. You paid thirty percent on the the increase in value. On so the increase at in the value. time of the debt, it was two hundred, and now it's gone to three hundred. You'll pay thirty percent in that one hundred. Yeah, but it's still a gain. It's just smaller. Yeah, but you're like it's a big chunk of change. You're going to give it to government. Yeah, but you will have to do that. Yeah, that's that's a, that, that it's like there's nothing short in debt and taxes. That is a tax, but it comes out of the estate. No one actually has to physically hand out that money personally. It comes out, out of the, the sale of the yeah. house, and that get paid, and then whatever's left is given out to the beneficiaries. God, it's all very complex, isn't it? <laughs> Life stuff. What else do we need to know? Being an adult is tough. So kind of like that's buying a house. Uh, selling a house is quite the same. Like. It, if you're selling a house, there's just certain items you should get ready. So you're already a house owner and just say you want to upgrade, downgrade, you're moving. Uh, you need to make, like if you're married, have your marriage cert, all your local property tax has to be paid up that year. There was a tax previously in 2009, 2013 called the non-principal private residence tax. But that was basically taxing second homes. It's no longer in place at the moment. But if you're selling a house, you need to have a certificate exemption to say during those years that there was your principal private residence, which means it's actually, it's, pain and the, because you have to prove you're living in it and then bring those documents to your local city council so they give you the certainty you can't sell the house without it um, if you have a mortgage you need to get this, uh, the redemption figure just to make sure the mortgage is under the value you're selling at if it is a case that you have a negative equity they're kind of less now at the moment to be honest with you most because the house price is inflated you must have a letter of consent from the bank agreeing to sell it even if it's le- if it's less than the actual sale price Um yeah, that's buying a house, making a will. I would just say, look, contact your solicitor to get a will. It's like it's a nice, it's a clean process. So, but there's no real need to make a will unless you have a property yeah, or have have assets. a child and have a child under the eighteen. Like if you have, if you don't have a child, Both and you don't have either. a house, but you have a car and yeah. a laptop and you're renting. Yeah, well, yeah, you still have assets. You know, like some people come in and they uh, they have that type of estate and they really just, I suppose, want to start a relationship with a solicitor and just engage with them, have their will, and just. Uh, People are, we might be flipping and say it's just a car, just a laptop, but that's very important to that person. And they yeah. want to make sure that if something was to happen to them, that they want someone to have it. They want someone to benefit for them. And what happens then is, in my experience, that person three years later has now met a partner and they got married. They come in and just making, they're buying their house or they make a new will and, you know, the, the, the usual formula applies then. What happens if the things, this is my final question, what happens if the things that are in the will are no longer yeah. the case. Yes. So say yeah. I have a will and I'm like, I want everything to go to my friend David. Yeah. And then David dies, but I am yeah. so sad I don't update my will. Yeah. And then I say, I want my house to go to whoever. Yeah. And in the same time, my house burns down. Yeah. Well, I suppose there's insurance there. Yeah. 
What happens if the will is not updated? So in, in the first instance, if the beneficiary or the intended beneficiary of your will want, you want it, is not alive, that gift fails. So that would go back into the residue unless you say that you want, uh, what's the actual word? The heir of that person. So say, say for example, uh, in some circumstances, uh, and it's, it's sometimes, it's usually in a situation, it actually can happen in many situations. So say for example, it's a woman in her 70s and they've grown up children and say they want either and they say they have five children and they want all five children to benefit from the estate but then there's, then they say look if any of my one of those children is not alive I want their children to inherit okay. and, and that's called persterpes so that what that means is that that's different to just giving to your grandchildren yes because yeah. in that in that in in that type of will the grandchildren are probably not going to get anything they just want their children to have it inherited yeah. and what the persterpes rule means is that it just say there's five children in, in this in this instance and one passes away and that person who uh, passed away actually three children themselves they get a third of a fifth right okay that kind of thing so uh, so each the rest of them are going to get their one fifth and then whatever children that it's person just had that, that, the, yeah. the reason yeah so um, you, you, like, and what if the house that you want to inherit you want to give to someone is destroyed or burned down or demolished uh, yeah if there's no value in it there's no asset there's no gift so the gift fails so the gift has to be you know, valid at the time of the will as well, because then that that does happen as well. People make wills in their different financial circumstances, different parts, and then that changes. Do you find your job fascinating? Like, do you love looking into like <laughs> what people have, and, or is it, it is very interesting? It is very, especially wills, and that's like there. Um, you can when we were like when I when I started business ten years ago, I had moved to Cork and. Um, 2009 to 10 kind of recession period so I set up and I was I, I was new to Cork and I wanted to kind of establish myself in Cork City so there was a thing at the time with Joe Duffy and these people it was called Fiverr Friday so they were trying to get people to spend money in their economy for 5 euro so I started advertising wills for 5 euro and then we started putting them on um, sites like Groupon and Living Social now lots of people have done it since uh, and in the end we <laughs> drafted nearly 2,000 wills so we've, oh we've actually built up back then like the, we've probably slowed down in the last five five years I'd say with the wills but I saw uh, it was a real eye opener at the time there was kind of two cat- main categories of people one was like the couple in the 30s with the young children I wanted to make sure uh, the, the guardianship and trusteeship and all that was correct and then we found the, the, the couples in their kind of 50s to early 60s and what I found with that, even though we're in a recession, there was quite a lot of wealth in the country. A lot of people had their houses paid off. They had a second house, lots of pensions and assets. They wanted just to be, have reassurance that if, if something's happened to me or my spouse, I want to make sure my children are looked after. And in some ways, people wanted to ensure that I want my children to be looked after, but I, if I, do, I, want, I don't really like my child's partner partner yeah can i protect against that or how do we do that and um and that's just a reassurance so um and in all that there's every every like life is so unique and specific to certain people and like you have the the spinster who wants to come in and leave her money to all her uh nieces and nephews and some to charity you have the typical husband wife scenario you have same sex couples you know, at the end of the day, you, you just want to provide service that's they have peace of mind and the will is nice, clean and simple uh, so that when they do pass away, the, their wishes are carried out exactly how they wanted them. Final question. Mm. What is the strangest thing someone has put in a will? <laughs> I thought the strangest one was not giving the estate till the person was 35. That like, is a little bit bizarre. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really want to know the backstory. Oh, People people try to kind of like give, get into the, you know, my book collection. And like, we have done it. The will just becomes just a gift of a book collection, specific books. They kind of get into the residue, you know, unless it's a really sentimental gift. Um, yeah, like, you, you, whatever, anything, anything and everything. You've seen yeah. it all. I've had someone left all their money to a, like a cat charity, substantial estate. It's mad. <laughs> You know, I mean, they obviously but love that, You know, and that's that was close to that person, that charity yeah. and her life. She was just, that's what she, she wanted the estate to be benefited of. I'm going to go and have a think about who I want to leave what to. David, thank you so much no, for Thank you, in. it was a pleasure. A pleasure, we'll do it again If sometime. people want to hear more about what you do, you have your own podcast. <laughs> I do have it. I'm trying to, I've, I, I'm kind of, I suppose... I actually love social media. I love broadcasting. I love this type of stuff. It's very exciting. And I started my own podcast uh, called The Sweeney Show. It's on the Sweeney Sisters Facebook page about two years ago. It's a video type thing. Uh, and then when COVID hit there in March, I kind of went, uh, my because I, I just happened to live within the two kilometers of my office. So I learned how to edit and do all that kind of stuff myself. So we were doing them all through Zoom. 
Uh, so we're nearly 50 podcasts done, uh, and lots of them have uh, discussed property, discussed uh, family law, lots of really, really talented and expert uh, lawyers have come onto it um, in the last six months. And people can find those on Sweeney's uh, Facebook Actually, we page. just put them up on the Sweeney's website, sweeney'sister.ie. Great. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Well, actually, I actually brought you a gift, two gifts today, because... Um, Do I have to pay tax on these gifts? <laughs> They're under the threshold. Are they under the threshold? You're from Cork and I've got some friends who've got a Cork company. Uh, so this is called Velo Coffee Roasters. So this is a coffee oh company God, in I Cork. Love coffee. So I've seen this. This is on um, across from the RT studios across the river. That's it. Well, that's yeah. the cafe, but this is the actual roasting company. It's a separate company now. That's what it. a now. nice bag. And the, this is also, I'm not sure, do you drink alcohol anymore? I don't, but okay, my maybe. boyfriend does. Oh, great. Look, this is a local company, Kinsale Gin. Ernest oh. Cantlin has a couple of bars. So I'm happily uh, pass this on with good faith. Thank you so much. Yeah, there you go. Enjoy. Uh, just a little gift from Cork. Two good, uh, great Cork companies. Uh, I'll be down there fellow coffee roasters and Kinsale Gin. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I would really appreciate if you would share it online. Like it, rate it, review it as much as you can. That is one way that you can really help me to reach a greater audience. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. And we are mixed by Alan Bennett. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.